And now it is time for News with My Dad, a show where we talk about the news with my dad. And in studio, actually on the telephone line, playing the role of my dad is, in fact, my dad, star of our show, Joe Smith. Pop, how you doing? I am really missing being able to come in, and I will be glad when the virus is over so we can be together again. It is nice to hear your voice. This is a show we talk about the news. We try to talk about the important stuff. Sometimes we talk about the unimportant stuff. When it's unimportant, we try to say so. We take turns. Dad typically takes the first turn. Pop, do you have a shout-out? I do indeed. I'm shouting out this morning for the health care professionals in retirement who have responded to requests to come back in and help because not only are we short of facilities and we're short of equipment, but we're especially short of caregivers. Over 30,000 in New York alone. Doctors, nurses coming back, risking their own health to come back. I think it is just an absolutely marvelous thing that they are doing. And finding those critical functions, understanding those critical functions, those critical functions, understanding who they are, and then making sure that they stay safe, that those uh, route, those pathways in manufacturing, we can certainly call them in food supply, we can certainly call them supply chains, and absolutely includes the need to deliver important information, includes the need to deliver health care services. Yeah, I'm pretty grateful to a whole lot of folks. In fact, we do a check-in, Pop, with the team each morning. And we typically do it at 11-11. We're moving it to 10-10 uh, because, you know, people don't have to commute. They don't have as much stuff uh, competing with their schedules early in the morning. It's usually a standing meeting. Well, it's not a standing meeting now because we're all doing it by teleconference. It's a Zoom meeting. But the, we ask seven questions. The first question, and everybody has it right, everybody writes down these seven in a little book, and the idea is to prepare the answers to them before the meeting starts. So the meeting, the standing meeting, only needs to take seven minutes. And we have a chance to check in with everybody at the beginning of the day as we start the day, or at least in the first part of the day. And those seven questions are first, what, taking your temperature. And shout out, by the way, to our friends over at Marmoset. It was, uh, it was Ryan Wines who uh, suggested this, or he does it with his team, and we just stole it. Uh, the uh, the first question is what is taking people's temperature you know like 72 is room temperature if you're really stressed out it's a 90 something you know if you're a little too relaxed or very very relaxed you might be in the 60s second is what you're grateful for third is your biggest objective for the day fourth is the biggest challenge you're facing fifth any crisis on the horizon sixth is if you're going to be outside the office or anything that folks need to know about your daily schedule and seventh anything outside the office worth sharing our check-in has significantly changed, and I don't just mean because it's not standing up anymore. Our check-in has changed because, for one thing, now, for usually, is there a crisis? Oh, I don't know. You know, the what, what's happening with radio? Will we have enough resources to do what we're doing? I mean, there's all, you know, occasionally a crisis that comes up, but now everybody's got something to say in the crisis part. And, in fact, so much so that we've had to change the question because it was like, yeah, we've got a darn crisis. We had to change the question to be, uh, we're doing instead, what's giving you hope? What are you seeing out there, or what help do you need? In that one, there's a there's sort of a toggle between what help do you need or what's inspiring you out there, because the crisis is so obvious. The reason I bring it up, though, is another thing that's changed is that when it comes to question number two, what are you grateful for? My uh, cup runneth over. 
I am so grateful to so many people. I'm so grateful to Emily Gilliland, who has been working more than full time as a volunteer for X-Ray so that we can step up our news coverage so that we can get through. I mean, there's so I was talking to one of our uh, one of our dear friends, one of our founding members, Karen Gritzka, who was saying, Jeff, and this is several weeks ago, I said, Jeff, I don't there aren't as many ways to meet the candidates. How am I supposed to meet these candidates? And I'm not going to be able to go, go into these house parties. I just went to one, but I'm not going to be able to go to more of them. They're not going to be going door to door. And thanks to Emily Gilliland, we are doubling down on our efforts to interview just about, I mean, and not just Emily, but Emily, I think first and foremost, we are doubling down our efforts to interview just about every candidate who's running for uh, running for local office and, and statewide office and county office, et cetera, and be able to deliver that information. And there's just, so, it's just one, I mean, I, Julia also is making sure that we get this very show produced. So many people stepping up, and I know that's happening in so many ways across the city. Where do you want to start, Pop? You can jump off that, or you can get to the I want, news. I want to talk just a little bit, a little bit about that, about the the interviews that are, are being done and the, the job that this radio station is doing. I am going. I am making a suggestion, a recommendation, that we put out uh, in about about the first of May, but the, maybe the twenty eighth of of uh, April, that we send to everybody we have on our email list a list of all of the interviews that we have done with the date and time so that anybody who wants to listen to what any candidate had to say they can go to our archives and hear the candidate answering questions as to why he or she ought to be elected so that that will be available as a as a source for all of the folks who listen to KXRY. And I want once again to urge, 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 urge all of our listeners, everybody listening this morning, to as soon as this program is over, since you're probably at home, maybe have a couple of minutes, send a message to everybody you can about this station and what this station is doing and tell them to check in at 107.1 if they live on the west or inner east side of Portland or 91.1 if they live on the far east in the metro area or if they're in Timbuktu or Florida or wherever go to xray.fm take advantage of what this station is offering in response to the first thing you said, Pop, we can go you one better than that. If you go to xraypod.com, you'll see two things right at the top. Uh, the You will see uh, the local, the new podcast that we've put out, uh, even has a new logo as of this morning, as of this morning has a logo. Because we really, we've, we've been talking about wanting to do this for literally years, that there, there isn't an every day, because it's a lot of work, and you have to, means you have to sort of work around the clock, like literally, like we had to figure out how to get some stuff done the morning before, some stuff done the afternoon before, some stuff done the early evening before, some, some stuff done very late at night uh, bef- the night before, and some stuff extremely early in the morning. And that means different people have to do different things along that, shall we call it a supply chain, in order to create that podcast. And I can see why the Oregonian isn't doing it. I can see why even OPB isn't doing it, because it's a challenging thing. But if we can get it in the habit in the same way that we used to, everybody used to have the morning paper, and the morning paper isn't the same thing as it used to be, 
and also so many people aren't taking the morning paper or just a nice supplement of the morning paper or heck morning uh, news content on the radio there's not really the chance to drive around as much right now not as many people are leaving their house so we rushed ahead to get the thing done we're really proud of it so you can check that thing out now but also dad there's also a thing that 2020 vision excuse me vision 2020 also on the podcast site which if you click on you can see all the episodes and that it means all of the candidates so all the ones we've already done uh, are there and uh, or at least the bulk of the ones we've already done are there we're going to be getting all of them up there but anyway pop let's get to it we got one chat in i like the new logo nice i think it's nice too the text line here is 971-220-5979 what's good out there how you doing folks 971-220-5979 dead well one thing i want to get your comments on it is the u.s senate has now unanimously passed the coronavirus stimulus bill it's the cares act coronavirus aid relief and economic security act hence cares c-a-r-e-s c-a-r-e-s It's the largest stimulus package, largest rescue package in modern history. $2 trillion in economic aid. I'm going to go through some of those elements, Dad, but first, your reactions. Well, the fact that they were able to do it by unanimous consent is a remarkable accomplishment. It now goes to the House, where it's very, very unlikely that they can get unanimous consent, but the Speaker thinks she may be able to do it by voice vote. And the way that works, you can do it by voice vote unless 20% of the House, and I believe it's 20% of those who are present, ask for a yeas and nays. And then as a yeas and nays, you have to have folks there, and you have to have a quorum and uh, all of the other requirements, which may be really challenging because the members of the House are scattered around the country right now. But but if she can get it done by voice vote, it's quite a remarkable accomplishment. Yeah. It, what occurred to me this morning, in fact, literally as I was wiping down uh, the studio, donning my rubber gloves, replacing the mic screen, we have largely shut down the studio, but we recognize that this is a critical function that media and that uh, live communications. We also have Federal Communications Commission requirements uh, for continuous operation as well as an emergency duty under federal uh, under federal law. So we do have to keep this studio operational, even though it's empty a lot of the time. We are figuring out a way. In fact, right now we have identified 25 people in our community who can record and or broadcast from home. And we've created another, in this last week and a half, another sort of supply chain of content that we've been meeting about every day to build so that we don't go dark, so that we can continue to have uh, relevant stuff, so the people who love what X-Ray does can continue to love that stuff. And and just like what we recognize is we can't control everything that's happening in the world, but we can do our piece. We can try to model behavior that we don't just give up, that we don't just lie down, that we keep the dark, that keep the heck going. But I was, as I was getting ready this morning, literally just, I was realizing, oh, wait a minute, this is how Congress is supposed to work. Yeah, there's going to be some disagreements. One of, one of you know, my cousins uh, I was posting, who's you know, very far right wing, uh, was uh, posting some nasty stuff about Democrats in, uh, Democrats in the Senate. And my first reaction was, you know, sort of grumpy about that. And I was like, no, no, this is actually how Congress is supposed to work, where there's a tug and pull about priorities and then but in a big big problem they get together and pass it so yeah i'd give a shout out to the u.s senate at this point i didn't say mitch mcconnell i just said the u.s senate the big disagreements here's some of the here are some of the uh, details actually dad do you want to go through the details you want me to you go through the details but before before we dive into details of that 
I just want to mention that anybody who is, still has the, the fantasy that this is not a serious thing, it took three months for the first 100,000 cases of coronavirus, COVID-19, to be reported. You know how long it took for the second 100,000? Nope. A week? Two weeks? days. Yeah. Twelve days. Yeah, it's a it's a hockey stick. It's a hockey stick growth. So here are some of the facts here. Americans will receive a one-time direct deposit of up to twelve hundred dollars. Married couples will get twenty-four hundred dollars, uh, less an additional five hundred dollars per child. Payments will be available for incomes up to seventy-five thousand dollars for individuals and one hundred and fifty thousand dollars for married couples. The check amounts will be phased out beyond those income limits. No person earning over ninety-nine thousand dollars would receive the benefits. Use of retirement funds, uh, the, oh, I should say, this is true for those also who have no income, as well as those who are income comes entirely from non-taxable means-tested benefit programs such as Social Security. About 90% of households will benefit from the checks. Retirement funds. The bill waives the 10% early withdrawal penalty uh, for distributions up to $100,000 for coronavirus-related purposes retroactive to January 1st. So if you have your 401k, uh, if you have an account somewhere, your Vanguard fund, whatever, and which ain't everybody, but just a lot of people, and you're like, oh, geez, I would really, uh, oh, by the way, Aileen from Salem says, just checked out xraypod.com, fabulous, and two exclamation points. So yeah, Aileen, share it around. Tweet it to your favorite friends. Use your Instagram. Do it for the Insta. Uh, the But if you take it out of your you know IRA, you get a 10% penalty for withdrawing before 59.5 years old. The bill waives that. Small businesses, $350 billion being dedicated to prevent layoffs. Companies with 500 employees or fewer that maintain their payroll can receive up to eight weeks of cash flow assistance. If employers maintain payroll, the portion of the loans used for covered payroll costs, interest on mortgage obligations, rent, and utilities would be forgiven. Unemployed folks, the program's $250 billion. Extended Unemployment Insurance Program expands eligibility, offers workers an additional $600 a week for four months on top of what state programs paid. Hospitals and health care, $140 billion to support the U.S. health system. Coronavirus testing as well. And then here's the big one. So, Dad, some of the tug and pull here, and, and Katie said the other day, I said, thank goodness for the... Uh, thank goodness for the midterm elections. Thank goodness for a, let's call it a balanced U.S. Congress, because this bill would have been significantly different. For for an example, that $99,000 thing, that was something that was fought over. The uh, making sure that unemployment benefits went significantly higher, uh, that was something that was fought over. Here was the other piece. Here was the thing that got my right-wing cousin to uh, get real grumpy was when Democrats stood firm on the Mnuchin slush fund, on the $500 billion. Well, they were able to... Go ahead. Can you imagine, and and DDT saying it's okay because I'm going to be overseeing it with the least trustworthy president the country has ever had. So that they ended up did getting some oversight about that. Remember the backdrop of all this, and hat tip the New York Times, uh, who discussed that this morning, the backdrop of all this is the last major economic crisis in 2008. The TARP funds, the seven, I think it was $700 billion 
that were offered most of the large financial institutions and to banks uh, also helped save the auto industry. They just were huge. It was hugely controversial. It ended up costing a bunch of elected officials their jobs and growing this and, and helping to uh, d- helping to foment the growth of the Tea Party. So there was a desire to at least have some oversight here. Airlines are going to get fifty billion dollars for passenger air carriers, eight billion dollars for cargo, uh, payroll taxes. The measure allows individuals to delay the payment of their 2020 payroll taxes until 2021 and t- 2022. Local governments, state and local governments, will get 150 billion dollars. Kate Brown in her statement yesterday said Oregon's going to get at least 1.2 billion dollars, eight billion dollars set aside for tribal governments. Uh, Agriculture Department will get uh, 30 billion to 50 billion dollars, according to uh, Senator John Hoven from North Dakota. And what's next, as you said, Dad, the House is hoping to uh, vo- vote on the package on Wednesday. Was also reminded something, by the way, yeah, all House bills, excuse me, all revenue bills do originate in the House. And so, uh, although I, sh- I should have double-checked this before, I'm s- before I say it, just to make sure that the basic laws of congressional physics haven't changed, but so relatively confident, this was a House bill that uh, that initial initially the house bill passed sent it over the senate and it got significantly expanded it started out you know as a 850 billion dollar discussion then it moved to a trillion and then Nancy Pelosi came and proposed 2.5 billion this is another big thing so uh, it got up into the senate to uh, 1.5 trillion Pelosi in the house was saying 2.5 trillion and they landed at it sounds like kind of somewhere in between $2 trillion. Another example of how that 2018 election mattered so very much is historically important. Another thing that mattered, Dad, was the sicknesses in the Senate. Were you following that? With what in the Senate? The sickness. Uh, only one was a sickness, but Rand Paul. Yeah, Rand Paul. And, Rand Paul and, uh, and it is so ironic that he was, he was the vote against the smaller package a couple of weeks ago. And Rand Paul made a uh, so so that's one fewer vote because he's not there. But also you had Ted Cruz in self quarantine and, and one other in self quarantine, and so that's why you looked at the looked at the vote count and it didn't add up to a hundred because there are people missing because the Republicans were getting sick because they went to well, I think it was at CPAC where and those and those two would be a probably have been the most likely to have resisted unanimous consent. It's a good point. Ted Cruz and Rand Paul have been the sort of two of the loudest sort of pro two pro Tea Party anti-government voices in the US Senate. But I think I mean every vote in the US Senate as we learned as we learned from uh, as we learned in the Obamacare fight more recently, uh, there isn't there there's just every single vote in the US Senate Matters. So in terms of what's missing, one thing that was missing, there was a bunch of election funding. And shout out, hat tip to Senator Ron Wyden, who proposed national vote by mail. And that proposal was a key component of the stimulus package among the Democrats. But in the final hours, that was reduced uh, at preventing a national rollout, uh, San Francisco Chronicle reporting, among others. So too bad that, that that didn't happen because now is the time to do that, to be able to have a national rollout to help defend this particular election. And I, you know, I, I, there, there will be those who that, question course, the motives of the of Republicans resisting. by the Republicans who are doing everything they can to make it difficult for poor people and for people of color uh, to vote. 
3.3 million Americans filed for unemployment last week. The United States has never experienced a week with numbers that high. During the Great Recession 2008, the highest week was 600,000. As I said last week, 3.3 million. The highest week More than 600,000. Say again? Yes. As a matter of fact, that's five times more. 5.5 times, Dad. The point three, like, that, that's the thing when you get to big numbers, even the point three part of it, the 3.3, the point three still matters. That's 300,000 people, which is half as many as the biggest day we had in the 2008 recession, biggest wow. week, excuse me. Well, I, while we're talking about elections, it looks like the can I finish that June, one? there are going to be oh, well. at least 12 states in the District of Columbia voting which means two weeks after the vote, the election in Oregon is all those states get so Oregon Oregon might have some significance this time. During the the, the great the highest week for claims ever was in 1982 at that time when Ronald Reagan was president. That time the number of people filing was 695,000. Uh, many economists predict this is just the beginning, estimating that as many as 40 million Americans will be out of work by April. That's a whole lot of people. A whole uh, lot of people. Some Oregonians are waiting nearly two weeks for virus results here in Oregon. The Oregonian reporting that we have as of the last check. And the interesting thing is when we're preparing the news each day, we end up getting some conflicting numbers. The reason we have conflicting numbers is because the numbers are changing so fast. So if you read something that's 48 hours old versus something that's three hours old, the numbers aren't just going to be a few off. They're going to be significantly off. We had a story uh, last night preparing that said 1,900 people have been tested. And then it was, no, it's been, four, been 4,600. 4,600 people have been tested. I just read 4,600. Then we get something else come over the wire. Uh-uh, 5,742. So by the way, by the time we're saying it now, it's not 5,742 anymore. A few more people have probably been tested since late last night. Uh, 266 Oregonians have tested positive, and we've now had 10 uh, recorded coronavirus-related deaths. Uh, the wait time has been based on a bunch of backlogs among the very various private labs who are processing tests. Uh, what else you got, Dad, in coronavirus news nationally and locally? I got a bunch more, but I want to turn it over to you. Well, uh, international, I got a bunch of international news most of which is related to the virus, but not all related to the virus. <clears throat> Brazil and Mexico are holdouts in telling people to stay home, which is kind of scary when you think that Brazil is the second biggest country in the Western Hemisphere, and Mexico, I think, is the third biggest. The, uh, while we're talking about Brazil, the number of disappeareds in Brazil has skyrocketed. That, that is particularly young black men just disappeared, almost certainly because of police or paramilitary. And this was in this is in addition to the 716 people who were killed by Brazilian cops just last year alone. They're pretty scary. Egypt has kicked out Ruth Michelson, German-born, actually German citizen, reporter for The Guardian, because she had the temerity to publish an article suggesting that Egypt had more than 16 coronavirus uh, victims, 
And so they, they're kicking her out because she was suggesting maybe a little bit of truth there. Russia is giving a ridiculous undercount, which uh, of course the authoritarians can get away with. India, India, the second most populous country in the world. When you think India and China have over a third of the population of the world between them, they have they have instituted a 21-day stay at home with pretty draconian punishment if you leave of the uh, interesting interesting sidelines that have happened in Venice. I know you have been in Venice where the water was high. Venice, because people are staying home and the boats aren't out on the water, the fish have, re, have, have discovered the fish are there are again. The ducks are coming to feed on the fish. And you can actually see the fish in the water in Venice, which is kind of neat. Uh, the, uh, some other international news that is not directly related to the virus, but I think of significance to mention. Turkey has indicted 20 Saudi Arabians for the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, the, the likelihood of them ever being extradited is quite slim, but it means that none of them will ever be able to visit Turkey. The locusts in Africa, really, really, really serious, and there is speculation <clears throat> that this is going to be a recurring problem of, of huge, huge impact on, on Africa. The Great Barrier Reef around Australia suffered its third bleach event in five years. And What's a bleach event? That the Barrier Reef may just be going away, and that What's that a has bleach event? For all of us. Can you hear me? Yes. What's a bleach event? Bleach event is when it warms up, and so the the reef bleaches and coral dies because reef, of course, is is made of coral that they're alive and, and they just they just dies. According to Science Alert and others, the COVID while the COVID nineteen pandemic is getting more overwhelming by the day, a death toll more than seven thousand people as of even last week. But there is a sliver of good news, and that is about pollution. That because that now we are seeing that new evidence is showing how COVID nineteen has affected global air pollution. We've seen it in China, and we're seeing it elsewhere. That reduced activity and significantly reduced uh, pollution. The, uh, there's a new satellite video showing China's pollution vanishing during the COVID-19 lockdown. Well, it's also showing it coming back now. You're listening to X-Ray FM, KXY Portland, KQAC, HD3 Portland, 107.1, 91.1 FM, streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. When we come back, we'll talk about what Andrew Como's prediction of the apex for coronavirus hospitalizations will be. Uh, we will also talk about what a Seattle NPR station decided to do about tr- Trump press conferences. Excuse me. That and more, including local news right after this. You're lis- listening to X-Ray. I'm Jeff. This Whoa. is my dad. Good morning, everybody. You're listening to X-Ray FM. This is news with my dad. And nevertheless, we persist. Bob, guess what a Seattle NPR station 
is doing with respect. I recognize that there is so much disinformation that comes from DDT's daily press briefings that they've decided not to carry it anymore. He said that he wanted to have a big Easter party. He wanted packed churches on Easter. Meanwhile, in New York, Andrew Cuomo is offering the information that they predict the apex in New York to be in 21 days. Do you know how man, what, what 21 days is from today, Dad? It's after Easter. 21 days from now is, I'm going to even count it out. I was hoping you'd be able to tell us just because you're real smart. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. Easter is 17 days away in New York. Right. It's, okay. it's four days after Easter. But New York is ahead of most other places. So Easter will not be when things are calming down. Easter will be when things are ramping up. If we all have, if we all don our Easter bonnets and all pack Easter churches, we will all become well, all's an exaggeration. A significantly higher number of people will become Easter carriers, transmitters, and receivers of the global pandemic disease. And, and to give one one really cogent example of the result of what DDT does, and for those who are not familiar with. DDT stands for DDT, of course, the T is for Trump, the middle D is for Donald, and the first D is for whatever adjective you like, despicable is good, desirable is not so good, detestable is pretty good, but anyway, DDT is, puts out stuff, and, and more than once he has mentioned that chloroquine is a, is, is a curative for it, and he's mentioned it. And a couple, an Arizona couple, heard that, and that chloroquine, oh, and they recognized that chloroquine was in the stuff that they put in their their koi fish tank, and so they decided to drink some of it, relying upon his advice, the result of which the man died and the woman is in intensive care. Don't drink your koi cleaning fluid or whatever the heck chloroquine is used for if you keep koi. And just because the president says it, don't assume he went to medical school. In fact, assume he didn't. And don't assume he's listening all the time to the people who are going to medical school because he didn't. Meanwhile, speaking of medical school, NYU is letting the people graduate early so they can help deal with the coronavirus. Hopefully, whatever they're going to learn in the last several months wasn't going to be that important. I'll say so. I was like, oh, I didn't, I didn't cover that. I didn't quite get through that part. But, you know, so any time you know somebody graduate from NYU, you either know that they are extra smart because they moved quickly, or, you know, cross your fingers. While I'm talking about, while I'm talking about DDT, I have, I, every single day now I am receiving several invites, some directly from him, ostensibly of course, and others from organizations associated with him urging me to contribute money so I can get a quote, and signed hat, tag hat, keep America great, a kaga hat, keep America great. The, uh, and they come and say, I can, I can contribute any amount. And so I decided if I can contribute any amount, I'm going to get one of those hats. 
<laughs> I'm going to contribute five cents. <laughs> Did it work? What you can't contribute. Five cents. Five cents. What's the minimum? Did you keep going up until you could do the minimum? It won't take it. It it it, it has to be. Did you hear me? I think five dollars was the lowest I could get it to go. At five dollars. So I did not get one. It's a good question. At five dollars, if they're making any money on it, they probably are. They probably calculated that five dollars their their production yeah, costs. Yes, they're probably they're probably made in Mexico or China or Vietnam. They're probably three bucks plus shipping is my is my hunch at production. So I guess if you did five dollars you would be supporting the Trump effort, which, of course, is your right as an American. This morning, this morning they said they've got to raise $2 million by midnight tonight. Or what happens? There'll be a global pandemic? <laughs> Over a million people have filed for unemployment in California since March 13th. Prince Charles has tested positive for the coronavirus. He's 71 years old, experiencing mild symptoms. And, Dad, the Mormon Church has announced a closure of all temples. All the temples worldwide, over 100 temples. Mormon Church is listening to science. A new Oxford study suggests millions of people may already have built up <coughs> coronavirus immunity. Dad, for all we know, you are one of them. Heck, I guess for all we know, I am one of them. A new study by Oxford suggests the pandemic is in a later stage than previously thought. And it estimates the virus has already infected at least millions of people worldwide. In the U.K., which the study focuses on, half the population would have already been infected. If that's accurate, that would mean transmission began in mid-January, and the vast majority of cases presented mild or no symptoms. The head of the study, uh, Professor Gupta, an officer, excuse me, an Oxford theoretical epidemiologist, said she still supports the U.K.'s decision to shut down the country to suppress the virus, even if her research winds up being proven correct. If her work is accurate... That would mean a large swath of the population has built up resistance. Theoretically, then, social distancing restrictions could ease sooner than anticipated. And then we could all wear our Easter bonnets and go to Easter church. What needs to be done now, Gupta said, is a whole lot of antibody testing to figure out who may have contracted the virus. There's another reason why the testing matters so much, right? The, uh, it, 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 it didn't just matter so you knew if you needed to get help. It also, the real reason it matters is to know if you need to quarantine yourself, but it also helps us understand the magnitude of the problem and what we have, what economic changes we have to make to be able to uh, defend against it and deal with it. And if you can do more localized quarantining rather than mass national quarantining, uh, that makes a big difference. I want to give a shout out to Gary Boyer and Director's Mortgage. Gary Boyer has been a strong supporter and necessary supporter of X-Ray. Really appreciate him. Also want to give a shout out to People's Food Co-op and the co-op movement in our town. who has been X-Ray supporters and X-Ray friends. And also, they help provide food. Dad, a Dakota Pipeline Environmental Review has been ordered by a judge. Three years after crude oil started running through the pipeline in North Dakota to Illinois, a federal judge is ordering an environmental review by the Army Corps of Engineers. The decision comes as the Trump administration is rapidly moving ahead with plans to roll back the National Environmental Policy Act, the law that Judge Boesberg, the judge in this case, relied on in his decision. The decision could come within weeks. I don't know if you follow that story at all, but this uh, pipeline crosses beneath the Missouri River just north of the Standing Rock Reservation. That, of course, was a story we covered a lot here, including having people live at Standing Rock that we spoke to then. Uh, I don't know if you followed that story. What else you got, Pop? 
Yes, I have followed that story. And while we're talking about oil, it might be worth mentioning what's happening with the oil prices around the world because demand is <clears throat> demand is way down, and Russia and Saudi Arabia are in a price war. The price of oil, which was over sixty dollars just a couple of months ago, is now well under thirty, and there's predictions that it may go as low as ten dollars. And if that happens, there won't be any oil coming through that pipeline anyway, because it economically can't be produced for that price. Pennsylvania is the latest to delay its primary due to the coronavirus. Pennsylvania joining other states. It will now be held June 2nd. That's becoming a popular date, with now 11 states choosing to hold their primary on that day. It's going to be a new super June 2nd. The next primary is going to be April 4th in Hawaii, followed by Wisconsin on April 7th. I wonder if we'll be making any announcements about those anytime soon. A reminder that the Democratic Convention will be held in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, July 13th to 16th. Well, Pop, maybe that can still happen if the Oxford researcher Gupta is correct. Otherwise, do you have predictions for whether or not we can have a convention? That stuff is in really close quarters. Yes, it is very close quarters. And, of course, what could happen? What could happen is that they might say, look, uh, the Democratic National Committee would probably uh, pass a rule which enabled all of the delegates to vote remotely. And if, if by that time, particularly if on the 2nd of June there's another Biden wipeout, if Bernie is not withdrawn before then, anyway, another wipeout. So it was clear that all the pomp and all of the advertising, of course, that what was, which is what the conventions really are all about, uh, and they could just do it remotely and do the nomination. And I, I think that we have to allow for the possibility that that might happen. Well, Bob, Mike Bloomberg has transferred sixteen million dollars. Excuse me, eighteen million. Eighteen, eighteen million. dollars. He's has an estimated net worth of sixty billion, so he's not missing that money all that much. He promised throughout his campaign would help Democrats try to defeat Donald Trump, regardless of how his own White House bid ended up faring. He's also going to donate six of his campaign offices. In uh, those are in Arizona, Florida, Michigan, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin former Bloomberg campaign staffers in those offices will continue to be paid by his campaign through the first week of April and have full benefits through the end of April. Uh, and before we think that $18 million sounds too much in the context of a national election, remember that according to the FEC, Federal, federal Elections Commission, U.S. House and Senate candidates running in the 2016 election cycle reported raising a total of $1.6 billion in the 2016 election. It's a lot. That's a lot. That's just House and Senate races. That's not state legislative races, county commission races. Guess how much? Guess how much, according to the Washington Post, Dan? I gave you a good clue already. So I'm, you're able to get close, I think. But guess how much you think the total, according to the Washington Post research done in 2017 about the 2016 election, how much do you think that the elections cost? How much the 2016 election cost? Yeah, overall. Well, when you is it, when you say overall, that means all offices, Pre presidential and congressional. Okay, okay, so House, Senate, and President. Yeah, I would imagine it's probably north of three billion. Six point five. 
That's quite that's quite a ways north of three billion. Six point five. The it turned out they did additional research estimating four billion dollars for congressional races and a presidential campaign of two point four billion. That's over a billion per side. So it, if it's going to take a billion dollars to run for president, you need eighteen million dollars at a time gets you to a billion a lot faster. But it's pretty hard, you know. But you know, the eighteen million dollars is not decisive. But you know, it's news. There should be at least here is a text in. There should be at least three. Excuse me, at least random testing of the non-symptomatic to get a scientific estimate of the true spread. With the proper science, you can get good information with relatively little testing and the magic of random sampling. That would help a lot with behavior protocols. Thank you very much. It was a brilliant text. We have some brilliant listeners. We appreciate you very much. The text line, if you have any brilliant texts to offer or questions, 971, which can also be brilliant, 220-5979. It's 971-220-5979. Yeah, the uh, one of the things they have done to look at hotspots is just look at fever records at where people have been reporting higher than average flu symptoms, even without coronavirus diagnoses. And what it showed was that the hottest of hotspots was Florida. Maybe not coincidentally, where Ron DeSantis has refused had refused to put in statewide measures. Mississippi, meanwhile, Governor Mississippi. Uh, preempted local health measures. He said, nope, we're defining a bunch of businesses as essential, and if in any of your cities, any of you uh, say that there's supposed to be a lockdown, uh, you don't get to do that anymore. Well, Bob, you are listening. Actually, I appreciate you doing that. Uh, I think, Dad, you're still on the line, Pop? While we're, while we're, talking, about, while we're talking about health, I, I have yes. a couple of other health things yes. that are not virus things, but I think are worth mentioning. Uh, we're look, they're looking at putting new tobacco warnings with pictures, with pictures of what happens to people when they get sick because of tobacco. And R.J. Reynolds' company is saying those are grotesque, bad policy, and it might actually persuade people to smoke less or to stop smoking. The uh, King's College study, King's College was where my papa went to school, study says that as little as one joint can produce schizophrenic symptoms in people. So, of course, I, I, have, I have been in favor of decriminalizing pot, but I have not been in favor of using it, and there is an example, maybe such a good... Yeah, it, one, of the, one of the challenges of having the... One of the challenges of having marijuana illegal for so long is there's been so little testing. And there is a huge political movement to address uh, the uh, criminalization, to address the fact that so many lives, so many people's lives, have been damaged uh, because of because of engaging in uh, in marijuana sales and distribution. There was a justifiable movement against it. That's not the same as saying there is a health-free lunch in the usage of marijuana. Go ahead, Pop. Uh, the the weather. Just about every single weather-predicting organization in the country says we're going to have a warm spring this year. Uh, didn't feel terribly warm this morning, but we shall see. The National Committee Commission on the Draft, which was created by Congress, has now reported to Congress, and they are recommending that women be required when they turn 18 to register for the draft, just like all young men are. So. In case a draft is instituted, the women will be draftable just as men. That's an interesting thing. It will be interesting to see what happens with that. There was one other international thing that I wanted to mention. That is that Pompeo 
apparently struck out in Afghanistan. He went to Afghanistan to try to get the warring factions there, the, the two governments, that each one contending that they are legitimate, when actually there is probably no government in Afghanistan that can be legitimate because it really is a, an area governed by warlords. Anyhow, he, he flunked, and so he said, okay, we're going to reduce aid to you by a billion dollars. And that sounds like a lot until you recognize how much aid we've been giving them, and then it's maybe all that not all that important. Well, Dad, we ought to take time now to do today's Quick 6 local rundown. Good. And after that, there's lots of state and local to talk about. One of the one of the things I want to cue you up as we're just as we're getting ready to start that the uh, uh, I don't know if you saw the story about the back channels and the lead up to the statewide lockdown conversations that apparently started out with uh, Oregon Business and Industry resisting it and Kate Brown resisting it and Mayor Ted Wheeler pushing for it. We'll be talking. I want to get your thoughts and comments about that. But why don't we do the quick six local rundown? And now it is time for today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Tough decisions for locals in the time of coronavirus. Yesterday, local chef Andy Richter posted that his Pock Pock restaurants will close for now. He wrote, I simply cannot bear the thought of one of our team becoming ill for the sake of preparing some chicken wings. Meanwhile, Ben's Deschutes Brewery has announced a layoff of 300 employees. And Daimler North America has decided to close its Swan Island plant until April 6th, the first local manufacturing business to close and the reason there not just protecting workers but also having to deal with supply chain interruptions they're seeing a hard time and projecting a hard time getting the stuff they need to make they stuff they need to make Portland's approved three million dollars in coronavirus related aid it's not two trillion dollars but it's 300 million pennies Businesses can start applying for up to $10,000 in grants. That's because a million dollars, that $3 million, is going to be distributed to small businesses. And the remaining $2 million will be decided upon soon. More information can be found on Prosper Portland's website. Wyden Kennedy is going to get us to listen, or so hopes the governor. The firm known for creating the tagline, Just Do It, is now going to inspire us to just do staying at home. Local firm Wyden Kennedy has been tasked by Kate Brown to create a campaign to inform and inspire us to keep at a distance, offered at no cost. The campaign will launch soon. We'd welcome your suggestions on what you think the new stay-at-home slogan ought to be. She stays home with her own wings is already taken. The St. Helens Movie Theater had cars lined up around the block. Was that people violating the stay-at-home order? Nope. Columbia Theater in nearby St. Helens did, in fact, close on March 17th due to the pandemic. But residents lined up their cars around the block to buy gift cards and to-go popcorn, according to the St. Helens Chronicle. And shout-out to local papers like the St. Helens Chronicle. In our candidate interviews, there'll be one candidate for mayor we won't have a chance to sit down with. That is Piper Kroll, the Nike executive and former Pandora lobbyist, dropped out of the race on Wednesday. The 34-year-old's campaign got a late start, had a hard time garnering attention in the coronavirus media maelstrom.
New data on COVID-19 in Oregon. Oregon now has 57 new cases of COVID-19, bringing the total of 266 people with recorded diagnoses. The Oregon death toll has reached 10. Wednesday's report from the Oregon Health Authority included more detailed information due to journalist pressure. OHA included specific age and gender data, included the number of beds and ventilators available. The state announced that it still has available 394 intensive care beds, 2,028 non-ICU beds and 608 ventilators. The ventilators are important again because respiratory problems end up being the biggest problem for people facing COVID-19 generally. That requires ventilators for those who are unable to breathe on their own. Meanwhile, Kate Brown called out the federal government for their poor response and the shortage of protective equipment. She anticipates $1.2 billion in aid or more for Oregonians in the federal aid bill and an additional 1,000 coronavirus tests per day soon. Meanwhile, Willamette Week is reporting that it was Ted Wheeler who galvanized the effort to push Kate Brown to issue the statewide stay-at-home order. OHA Post data updates each day at healthoregon.org slash coronavirus. Also, a shout-out to Diane Lund of the Lund Report for consistently excellent health care coverage in Oregon. And that's today's Quick 6 Local Rundown. Well, Bob, any of that you want to feed back on? Well, at least while, you're talk, while you're talking about Governor Brown, I don't know if you caught the uh, piece that Steve Dean in the Oregonian did on her I did a not. days ago. Uh, Steve Dean, whose, whose, name, whose name is spelled Duan, but is, he pronounces it Dean, he, he was not kind to her. What did he have to say? He had to say that he thought she, he thought she was a disaster, and particularly that she had vacillated and... and and, and held off telling people to stay home and making it clear that they had to stay home much longer than she should have. I, I think, however, he came in with a bias, and so he was. Wait, she she thought she, he was say. saying that he was saying that he was she was telling people to stay home too much or stay home too little. Too little. Yeah. That she wasn't. That she that she was she was recommending it when she should have been ordering it, and she waited too long to order it. A challenge for someone, and, and I don't want to say, I don't want to cast too many generalizations, nor am I prepared to offer a full conclusion on, on Governor Brown, who, of course, I've known for a long time. Uh, the, but here, is, here are the critiques, some of the critiques we're hearing. Uh, some of it was praise for the mayor. And when I sat down with the mayor, and you can listen to those, uh, you can listen to parts one and two if you download the local, the podcast we just put out. Uh, and we have that, and we're going to be talking. I'm going to be talking again to the mayor on Friday. Uh, and it was brought up in a story about him that he's somebody with uh, mountain rescue experience. And so during a, he's sort of the habit of, and he has now now an executive, of course. And the big decision, and there's other decisions, but do you listen more to the scientists? Do you listen more to the emergency experts? Those are different things, but related. Or do you listen more to the political tug and pull? Do you listen more to the people you're used to listening to for advice? The early word I got, and I got it from well-placed source, but I only got it from one source, was that Kate Brown early on was listening to the people she's used to listening to, which are political advisors. She was listening to Kevin Looper, the political consultant. She was listening to Sandy McDonough, former head of the Portland Chamber of Commerce, now the head of the essentially Oregon Chamber of Commerce. I know we don't call it that. 
she was listening to the political people. Now, when it comes time when you're passing a bill, if you're somebody who was, you know, in the state Senate for a long time and, you, you know, you kind of get this instinct for counting noses. And as Lyndon Johnson said, the ability to count is the most important skill to develop when one is a legislator. And she has developed a really savvy ability to count. And you count not only by calling every single legislator and asking where they're going to be. They might not always tell you straight. and You don't always have that much time. You count by understanding all the political pressures and then mapping those political pressures to be able to predict what you're going to be able to do, which helps you map what you're going to do. The challenge is in something like this, that that skill of counting is no longer arguably the most important skill. Because in a state of emergency, you're the decision maker. And in a state of emergency, other folks will let you be the decision maker and will support your decisions if you do the bold stuff. The different set of skills is trying to listen to the science and just say, we're going to do what the science says. We're going to do what the emergency workers say. The word I got, again, it was only from one source, was that when schools were closed, when Kate Brown said schools were closed, she hadn't communicated that to the emergency management teams. It was news to them. They learned from the press release and the people that there were political people that knew it because she was, you know, talking to teachers union. She was talking to some of the political folks and the uh, I am not, though, going to paint with the same brush. The good news is, is that Kate Brown, even if that even if that critique is accurate, she's still listening. Even if that critique is accurate, there is now a statewide shutdown. We're earlier than a lot of other states. So this is not, you know, she's not calling for people to put on their Easter bonnets and going to Easter church in however many days that is, 17 days from today. Uh, and so I'm not prepared to back the bus up over Kate Brown. But, yeah, I hear Steve Dean's critique, and it was not the first time uh, that I've heard a critique. It, it overlaps not only what I was hearing in back channels, but also what uh, the Willamette Week just wrote yesterday. And and that, in fact, what pushed her there what and it seemed obvious to me what was happening it didn't just seem obvious. It, if you're paying close attention and I think I even said it here going back, I think it was last Thursday when you and I were together. I think I did say what seemed like what was going on was the mayor was pushing for a stay at home order and the governor was pushing for not one. And then, of course, they ended up saying it. everything changed over the weekend. Right. Friday, they got together, had their press conference. An unnamed source, but highly placed source, said it was their worst moment uh, at doing uh, doing a candidate advising and communications because they thought I got a note from Ellie Gilland saying, "Did you see that thing?" Asking me if I had watched that press conference. It was sort of this strange thing where it was much ado about not very clear orders. And then on Saturday there was a call from 25 mayors, and then on Sunday there was still resistance to statewide order. And then Monday, with the mayor saying, "If the governor doesn't do it, I'm going to do one in the city." And then on Monday there was a statewide order. So I, I just want to say, in defense of Kate Brown, there is like three days of arguing about it. You know what I'm saying? Or maybe like a week. Yeah, every day matters. I don't want to cheapen that. But it's not like we don't have a governor who's not listening. But there is an interesting thing about when do you stop just listening to political people or mostly listening to political people, and when do you start listening to, you know, the scientists? While we're on this subject, she may be calling a special session to address the education tax that is scheduled to go in to, to, to maybe put that on hold for a while. And in the area of education, the effect of the virus, things that need we need to be talking about, one that is not important, 
this is really not important. And uh, if there is anybody who is a junior in high school listening to this this morning, I'm sorry to tell you it's not important. But the proms, the high school proms that almost all happen normally before the 28th of April, are probably not going to happen. A good question is, what are we going to do with graduation for seniors? Are seniors going to be able to graduate? What are we going to, what's going to happen with standardized tests? Almost certainly the standardized tests are going to be put on hold. The, just a lot happening there. Also might, might be worth mentioning something that I wanted to mention a couple of weeks ago. The Education Department has finally come out with the Native American curriculum, which was, they were supposed to come out with a long time ago, but that is an encouraging thing. But the, the effect the effect on schools and education is pretty significant. Let's take a break real quick. And let's listen to a little bit of Lost Lander, a local band with a studio right here in our building. You're listening to X-Ray. This is news with my dad. We appreciate you. The text line is 971-220-5979. And radio's yours. Good morning, everybody. You're listening to X-Ray. I'm Jefferson Smith coming at you live. This is news with my dad. My dad is on the line. Pop taxes have a new deadline, July 15th, and that now includes the arts tax, July 15th instead of April 15th. Yeah, I, I said it my arts tax day before yesterday, and I could have waited. You could have saved it. You could have earned like 0.01% interest on that money. Or you could have put it in the stock market and had it lose 25% of its value, 30% of its value before gaining about 8% of its value back. You could, any number of things you could have done with that money. Well, I'll tell you, anybody, anybody who could be prescient with the stock markets in the last three weeks, who would have just known when to go short and when to go long, could, could own the world right now. And and there are, it hasn't been reported yet, but there, I'm sure that there have been billionaires made, right? There's going to be lots of people who've lost a ton of money. But I'm sure there were people in the same way there, you know, for anybody who saw the movie The Big Short or who read, who read the book, uh, be, there were certainly people who bet, whether they were prescient or just lucky, people who bet by selling short the market as soon as the coronavirus started popping up in China. And there are probably also some people who went long, with uh, guessing about what was what Congress was going to do, uh, but I, you know, as long as people survive, as long as people make it through, as long as people do what's necessary so that they don't entirely lose their livelihood, don't entirely lose their nest egg, uh, that's then we can make it through as a country. Speculators, you know, and and my other thing is the the, the big challenge of speculators is that if that's done en masse and that's done with borrowed money, the thing that really causes depressions. Okay, and great recessions is not just economic problems. It's economic problems plus massive debt, massive leverage, that then those leverage dominoes start to fall and teeter over other ones, and that's when there become huge crises. So careful about using other people's money to gamble. Uh, Dad, what else you got? Well, one kind of nice story. Have you heard about the drive-through farmers market in markets in Washington County? I have not. Washington County has the most reported cases of anywhere in Oregon. It's nice to hear that they're going to have farmers markets. Tell us. Yeah, the the couple of farmers markets, the one in Hillsboro, where they're keeping the farmers markets open, but you don't. What you do is you drive up and you say what you want, and they and they bring it to you and give it to you like like the pizza. 
that I brought home the other day. You park outside and they carry what it is they want to keep the farmers markets. And of course, one of the biggest challenges that the world is going to have in the next several weeks is keeping the food chain going because there, there have to be people still harvesting food and processing food and shipping food and retailing food and delivering food so that people just simply don't starve because there's no food available. Kind of neat that a couple of farmers markets in Washington County have figured we're going to stay open. Heard some really helpful analysis this morning, and I'm so glad you brought that up. I heard some really helpful analysis this morning talking about the biggest crisis, the health crisis. That's what we need to focus on. The second biggest crisis, or the second biggest thing to be aware of is our food supply. And explaining that what we've got to do is attend to and protect the first mile and the last mile. What does that mean? The first mile is how does the, how does the darn food get made in the first place? And that means that this spring, starting right now, 80% of American food production is going to happen with what is planted, what is harvested, what is, oh, not harvested yet, what is planted. It's got to be planted, and right? What, in, the, in the next 30 days, it's all going to be planted, or we're not going to have food in September. Apparently, 80% is going to happen in the next three months, okay? So we've got, maybe it was 60 days, but I think it was, I think it was three months. And so that's got to come off without a hitch. We've got to do that really well. And then there's the last mile. With all these restaurants closed, we've got to figure out what's going to fill that gap. And so anything that is happening, it's like people who have, and this is happening, right? If you go to like Facebook Marketplace and you can, you can buy food now uh, and you can get people, uh, you can go to, I'm not meaning to plug Mark Zuckerberg, but people, it's starting to be time, not during the winter, but now that it's spring, starting to be time when people are, you know, slaughtering, excuse the word, trigger warning for vegans and other human beings who love animals. Uh, starting to slaughter uh, pigs and cattle and selling quarter uh, quarter quarters of beef and selling uh, quarters of or full porks uh, and the and, and figuring out how that's going to get distributed because there's we're going to have to fill in nearly a third or at least some meaningful portion of that third of food distribution that is happening in all these restaurants where public officials aren't wanting us to go. Yep. What else you got? Well, I should say I should say this, this, Dad. I want to say thank you to Morel Inc. You can find out more at morellinc.biz. We really could not do this, but for our members, you know, as I said before, when we canceled our fundraising event that was supposed to happen last Saturday night, our X-ray awards gala, we uh, that was like writing a thirty thousand dollar check to the coronavirus, and for us, that's a lot of dough. Uh, and so for the members who support us and for the sponsors who support us, we can't thank you enough. Uh, want to say thanks to one of them, uh, Morel Link, a full-service union-run all-in-one shop, meeting all printing needs from poster, posters, excuse me, postcards and brochures to posters and lawn signs, as well as a wide variety of other promotional items. Morel Inc. Ink on anything, mail anywhere, locations and more at morelink.biz. Also want to say thanks to Gary Boyer and Directors Mortgage. Uh, also want to give a shout-out to Mississippi Studios, who wasn't able to host. Uh, they're having their own challenge. Had to lay off a bunch of people. Portland Mercury had to lay off a bunch of people. So we're not in this alone. We're in this together. What do you got, Pop? The uh, one thing that uh, some people are going to like knowing, if you have studs on your tires, that is, snow studs on your tires, which normally you would have to have off by the 1st of April, 
you have the, till the 1st of May to get those off, and that, of course, is simply because Schwab, etc., have to, I, I don't know if, I don't know if they have to close. I'm inclined to think that a, that a tire place might be a critical thing that should stay open. But anyway, you, you don't have to take your studded tires off until the 1st of May. Other local news that is not coronavirus related, Judge Claudia Burton has ruled in a case brought by farmers Troy and Tracy Brooks in Klamath County against the Water Resources Department, which the, the, the Brooks said the Water Resources Department didn't have the legal right to tell them to, start, to stop pumping water. And the judge has agreed with them, and they have told the Water Resources Department that you can't tell people in Klamath County to stop pumping water under present regs, which uh, may be legally the case, but has perhaps potentially severe implications for the water table in the Klamath County and, and around the state. Another interesting court story, which I think is worth reporting, I have to give a little background to understand this. If you are arrested in Multnomah County, you have money in your wallet. They take the money, and when you are let out, if you're let out whether you are bailed out or your charges are dismissed or whatever, and instead of giving you back the money in the cash that you had, they instead give you a debit card which uh, in the amount that you had in your pocket or in your purse when you were incarcerated. That debit card has to be used with to in total within the next five days or it starts to incur a $5.95 monthly charge. And the first charge is just five days after. And then also you have to pay a $2.95 fee every time you access it with an ATM to take the money off the debit card. And all of this, of course, is very, very good for Nui Financial, which is the private outfit that the bills have contracted with. Well, I am really delighted to say that the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has overruled Judge Mossman, who had said that that was okay for that to happen and had tossed out a class action suit brought against the jail system for that. The Ninth Circuit has said, Judge Mossman, you were wrong. You have to reinstitute that set, that suit. And if there ever struck me as a small, but nonetheless, to somebody, somebody comes in with 50 bucks in his purse or in her purse or his pocket. That's a really significant thing, and so I want to compliment the Ninth Circuit on that one. Well, Bob, also want to give another shout-out to all the folks who are putting uh, together the local. The new logo is up. It just got cleared on iTunes yesterday, literally yesterday. You could get it on xraypod.com since, uh, uh, since last week. Other COVID-19 moves in New Zealand. Prime Minister just popped her toddler to bed, was pitched up on the couch in a sweater. Meanwhile, they're, they're 
Prime Minister of New Zealand is trying to model stay-at-home behavior. Uh, workers in eight Amazon warehouses are testing have tested positive for coronavirus. The outbreaks at Amazon facilities come as the e-commerce giant plans to hire 100,000 new workers to meet the surge in orders in the customer fulfillment centers. In the company's fulfillment centers, Dad, I know that you're not an Amazon, uh, you're not an Amazon person, but this country right now is significantly dependent upon that company. For it's one of the reasons, by the way, that antitrust exists. It's one of the reasons that Judge Bork was wrong when he wrote his antitrust theory that the only purpose of antitrust law is uh, consumer prices. There's also an issue that if you get too dependent on a single company, any number of hard things can happen, including like what happens if that company all starts getting sick and you don't have a bunch of replacements for it. It's only eight people. All of Amazon is not sick. But the supply chains for so many other goods and services are reliant upon Amazon right now. So many people are getting their groceries that way. Uh, so many people are getting other th- critical things. That, heck, it's where I'm scalping hand sanitizer. Uh, it, it Actually, no, eBay was where I scalped my most recent hand sanitizer for the studio. Uh, it is, uh, it's a significant deal what's happening at Amazon. Uh, also, 50% of people with COVID-19 are not showing symptoms in Iceland. Appreciate the science there. And shout out to Emily and appreciate you posting that. And also I did, I plugged the, uh, I plugged the Lund Report before. Uh, Lund Report is just a marvelous, uh, a marvelous resource for healthcare news. Dad, anything, anything you want to say uh, before we, uh, before we switch over to Alex Zelensky? Yes, you were talking about Amazon. It really underlines the fact that both federal and state governmental policy needs to see to it that no private organization, let me say that again, no private organization becomes so big that it's too big to fail. That is, that its failure would really be very, very detrimental to the country as a whole. And Amazon is a classic example. While we're talking about hiring, by the oh. way, a month ago, Intel had a page, full-page ad saying that they really need engineers, and they were hiring. I hope they are still hiring. And uh, while we're talking about Intel, Intel apparently has gone all in on facial recognition. So to get into Intel, you have to have facial recognition. And then the last thing I just want to mention is the Frog Ferry. Are you familiar with the Frog Ferry? No, Dad. That is the proposal to have a ferry running from Vancouver. It has received a grant from ODOT and PDOT of $240,000. I am very skeptical about the economics of the Frog Ferry, but that will be fun to watch. Well, I'll tell you. You for the four billion dollars, somewhere between three and ten billion dollars that a Clember River crossing is going to cost, you could buy a lot of frog ferries. That's true. You could buy a whole lot of boats. Well, Bob, let us. Uh, I mean, ultimately, bridges are probably more sustainable than a whole bunch of boats. But I give you. Shall I do my straw now, or shall I do? Let's do this. Let's do a straw in the wind. Okie doke. Background for my straw in the wind. In the wind. 47% of world cities of over 500,000 population have water shortages, periodic water shortages. That's the background for this straw in the wind. The city of Mexicali in Mexico 
held a vote on whether or not to approve the allowance of Constellation Brands Brewery, which is one of the biggest brewery consortiums in the world, to put a brewery there which would use a lot of water, and the vote in Mexicali against letting them have that big water using brewery, 76%, over three to one. That could be a really significant straw in the wind. Well, Dad, I don't know if this is a straw in the wind, but I'm going to break some news. I'm not breaking a straw in the wind. I'm not breaking. Okay, you understand. Google Docs went down for several minutes between the 840 and 845 today. Just letting folks know. If that's strong, the wind might be because people are using it a lot. Dad, it was good to talk to you. We did it again. We'll be back on Monday. Love you, Pop. That was news to my dad. Thanks for listening. And coming up right now, we've got Alex Zelinsky of the Portland Mercury, friend and reporter, and very much appreciating your intrepid work. Intrepid, intrepid work. How you doing, Alex Zelinsky? I'm doing well. How are you? I am well. You have a story up now about what's happening in Columbia County with jails, with a lawsuit. Tell us that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, a couple of days ago, there was a, I guess, yeah, Tuesday, uh, a lawsuit filed on behalf of a, a guy in Columbia County Jail, which is um, a county that includes St. Helens, so just a little northwest uh, of here. And uh, a guy with an um, inmate with, um, he's 44 years old, has diabetes, has uh, a heart condition, you know, has uh, health complications that put him in kind of a high risk of being vulnerable to, uh, you know, serious complications from if he gets the uh, coronavirus. And so with the help of some lawyers, he filed a class action lawsuit against uh, the jail, against the, the sheriff, the Columbia County, County Sheriff, uh, basically saying that, hey, this, this, this jail is not following um, the just basic CDC protocols to make, maintain um, social distancing space to make sure that everyone has uh, abundance of uh, cleaning supplies and soap and, and face masks. Um, and uh, people like him uh, who are especially vulnerable to contracting this disease are uh, basically at, at risk of, of severe illness because of uh, the, the alleged kind of inadequacies within this jail. And so um, his lawyers are kind of looping, since it's a class action lawsuit, they're looping in basically anyone else in that jail who has any kind of, um, you know, uh, other illnesses or health conditions that put them in a high risk which, you know, is such a wide range of any respiratory issues, if they've had cancer, if they're HIV positive, if, uh, you know, it, it's blood pressure issues, any of that. So um, Columbia County has yet to respond, but it's kind of the first big action that we've seen, at least in the Pacific Northwest to, um, or at least in Oregon, to uh, to release or to, to demand kind of better conditions for folks in jails during a, a time when, uh, when something, a virus, that the, the coronavirus can, uh, you know, whip around so quickly in small, uh, in small facilities. And 
you know, I, I don't know if you've been following what's going on at Rikers Island in New York, but there's been cases that have been just one case exploded into, I think, like 52 or 55 over the weekend. Um, and the uh, Bill de Blasio, mayor of New York City, is slowly releasing a few uh, inmates to, to allow for more space within that prison to, to comply with social distancing rules. But um, it's tricky. It's really tricky when folks are crammed in there. And, and Columbia County hasn't released anyone yet. Um, Washington County Jail and Multnomah County Jail have started to slowly release a few inmates who might be uh, nearing the end of their sentence um, or, you know, pre-trial. A lot of folks are in jail who haven't even been convicted of anything and just can't pay bail, which has always been a problem. <laughs> um, but now it's even more of a of a health risk to be in there. And so... Um, basically what, yeah, lawyers representing this, um, this man in Columbia County are hoping or demanding are, you know, start following these instructions. Um, they're not asking for inmates to be released necessarily, but just to, um, yeah, what are they asking for? What is the, they're not saying, Hey, clear the yeah. prisons. Are they just asking for certain folks to be quarantined for there to be more hand sanitizer? What are they pushing for? Yeah, they're asking for, well, one of the big issues right now is that they're still asking for co-pays if anyone has signs of coronavirus within the prison um, and wants to, see, wants to see a medical doctor, you have to even pay, I think it's just a buck, but in prison that's a lot, pay a dollar to communicate with a uh, with a doctor or with a medical um, staff member. There's just financial limitations that keep people from being tested. There's no, um, allegedly, there's no... Uh, doctors and, and um, medical staff aren't really wearing gloves or masks um, when they're interacting with patients who might have uh, those symptoms, which just puts them at risk as well. Um, and there aren't masks and, and kind of um, uh, hygiene supplies for people or enough for people who are staying in there. I guess only one bar of soap per person. Um, they're, they're, they're asking for um, public spaces and, and uh, cells to be better sanitized. Uh, there apparently haven't been any kind of like deep cleaning of the jail, which has, um, you know, kind of a lot of concerns. There are four people to a lot of uh, rooms still. And some, you know, uh, they're they're wanting folks to be more isolated from each other and uh, for sake of their of their physical health. Um, people are definitely not allowed much uh, much space between each other, let alone six feet space, which is kind of the social distancing guidelines from the CDC. So it's kind of a laundry list of like, hey, just please follow CDC guidelines. Um, so an organ inmate... be prepared to, to pay the price if people get gravely ill on yeah. your watch. An organ inmate has filed a federal lawsuit against Columbia County, and it's they're claiming indifferent response to COVID-19. Alex Zielinski reporting... In the current edition of the Portland Mercury, you can get it online at Blogtown. You guys aren't printing right now, right? You guys are all online. I don't want to spread fake news, but I'm directing people to the website. You tell <laughs> yeah, me where to direct people. Yeah, we're all online. No need to leave your house. Uh, yeah, just just find us online, which means that we're, uh, well, we love having a print edition. Right now, it's actually uh, a little bit more helpful just to be able to focus and kind of put the blinders on just the quick breaking stuff because there's so much of it. Keeping on jails for a moment, question we yeah. have, Alex, is Multnomah County jail system prepared for COVID-19? Yeah, um, a lot of, it's tricky because, I mean, with any of these news stories, things keep changing every day or by the hour. 
Um, and Multnomah County right now, um, the, the last that I checked in, is doing uh, its part to, to try to like, diminish the amount of folks coming into the courthouse, diminish the amount of folks being arrested in general so they don't have to go to the courthouse, and then eventually uh, making sure they don't have to end up in, in being held in jail for a long amount of time. Um, they're slowly releasing some folks who have been uh, held in the prison who might be, you know, a week or two away from their sentence being up um, in order to make more space for people in their prison. They've opened up, or in their jail, they've opened up one other dorm um, also in their Inverness jail, which is kind of the main one, uh, to make space for inmates. And they say that they're uh, everyone who's coming in is being placed in an individual cell, um, which is not what we're hearing in Columbia County. So, I mean, that's important. That's great. There's also concerns, though, like with anyone right now, with the, the mental health side effects of that, right? Being placed in isolation, being placed in basically solitary confinement in some ways immediately uh, is not great for someone's mental health. Yeah, um, they... especially because Multnomah County and every you know other county jails are suspending all pr- extra programs that go along with um, the jail, which are you know maybe um, Narcotics Anonymous or non or Alcoholics Anonymous classes or support programs for people with um, you know anger issues or or other mental health issues uh, and just any kind of like social interactions like you know we're we're all locked in our homes right now and we already feel pretty isolated but, but we can an call inmate, our family we can, right an inmate we can doesn't do meeting but yeah an inmate doesn't he, go ahead oh yeah to, to be in that scenario while in prison I mean to be fair that's how so jail always really is, and it's something that we should be maybe talking about more now that we know kind of what it feels like to be in lockdown. But once you're in jail and to be even further put into isolation, uh, granted your your health is um, is a priority, physical health, but that, what that will do to folks' mental health is you know still a big question. No lawsuit, Multnomah County. Anybody asking for additional changes to Multnomah County jail systems? Yeah, there are definitely, um, there's a group of uh, civil rights kind of organizations, including the ACLU of Oregon and the Oregon Justice Resource Center and I think Disability Rights Oregon, a few other groups that are asking uh, for not just Multnomah County, actually the entire state uh, and uh, that, you know, both prison and jail systems to um, really better prepare and better uh, be aware of the repercussions of kind of how that how everyone's triaging uh, the you know the crisis within the courts and within in the jail systems right now um, and same kind of things just making sure that I, I think a big thing is just making sure that all of these facilities are being really transparent about what's going on a lot of folks are scared that there is uh, coronavirus being transferred or um, transmitted, um, you know, within these jails and no one's really talking about it. There's no tests there. It's, you know, it's a microcosm of kind of what's going on in the outside, but a little bit worse because there's, um, there's you know, a, a lack of transparency, an added lack of transparency. And so, um, yeah, there's a number of, uh, of these criminal justice and kind of civil rights advocacy groups calling for um, just more transparency and more access. And at the same time, there are some activist groups locally who are calling uh, to to release a lot more prisoners than um, 
than have been so far within the, the county jail just to make sure that there is um, an ability for people to even attempt to practice uh, social distancing and, and, and you know, cleanliness. Is law uh, enforcement is law enforcement uh, is law enforcement doing anything? Are they changing any practices about admitting people to jail? Yeah. So right now, at least in Multnomah County, all um, law enforcement uh, officers, including you know Portland Police, Gresham Police, uh, Multnomah County Sheriff deputies, they are only arresting and charging or booking people into jail right now who have. Um, charges that are more than just a, a misdemeanor, so people with felony charges, people with, you know, uh, violent assault charges, things like that. Um, right now, if they're, if someone's stopped for um, a misdemeanor, they're just being given kind of a, a complaint, or not a complaint, a, um, a uh, they're basically being said, hey, here's a note, you've done something wrong, come back to court when all this, you know, shit settles down and then you'll be charged for kind of what went on. Um, so it's more of a, a warning system than a, um, you know, you're going to be booked in jail kind of system, uh, which, you know, is allowing police to kind of, it's both allowing them to prioritize um, uh, more serious arrests and crimes, but also to keep them from having to bring more people into the criminal justice system as a whole and keep space between other folks. Alice Galinsky, anything else about prisons that you think people might be missing? Um, no, I don't right now. I think um, it'll be interesting to see. We've been pressing the governor to make a decision on, you know, if she's interested in granting clemency to anyone in, in prison during this kind of emergency. And she's really the only one in the, in the state who has the power to do that in a sweeping and broad way um because right now we're talking a lot about jails we're not really talking too much about prisons and the prison system um is equally uh you know under uh duress because of this coronavirus and so um if if the you know the governor is up to her to kind of decide hey these a certain amount of folks are should be kind of protected from um uh from getting this disease we're going to allow some people non-violent arrest to be to be released or people who are especially vulnerable. Um, so that, we're thinking that might be something coming down the pike. Well, Alex, we appreciate you very much. You're listening to X-Ray FM, KXY Portland, KQAC HD3 Portland, 107.1, 91.1 FM, streaming online everywhere at xray.fm. You holding up? You making it through having to be quarantined? I am, yeah. I'm doing all right. Got it got on, on like puzzle number four over here. You're on, on puzzle number four? Yes. What current puzzle are you working on? Uh, it's kind of like, it's number four, so it's like the not interesting one. <laughs> it's just a number like, four? Like, it's just yeah, you have to figure out like where the long part goes, where the slanty flowers. part is? It's not as compelling as number one, but What was number one? Are. What was number one? Oh, uh, just a really crazy colorful one with whales. Well, we appreciate you being crazy colorful with us. Thank you so much for spending time. It is a delight to still be able to keep this bit yep. of our normalcy and this bit of our routine, as well as this bit of information. Be well. Great. Thank you so much. You're listening to X-Ray, and we're so grateful that you are. So grateful to be in community with you. want to say a big thanks also to Julie Oppenheimer for making this show possible and to Emily Gilliland 
I'll be back with you tomorrow. We've got more candidate interviews. We're compiling all of these at Vision 2020 on the xraypod.com site, which you can get to from the xray.fm site, as well as the local. You can find the daily news podcast every day at xraypod.com or in the podcast app near you.